Good to see you this morning. Well, today I officially turned 65. So I need you young people to keep working for <laughs> If I knew it felt so great to be 65, I would have made it sooner, all right? Appreciate you guys. I also want to recognize Noah Bratch. I was going to do this at the end, but I want to make sure I don't forget. Noah Bratch up there in the back, if you'll stand. One of our United States Marines right there. Home. Good to have him back. Good to have him back. And so we appreciate him. I appreciate all the men and women who serve this country. I know a lot of times they don't get a lot of appreciation. But I, I tell you, I'm one of them guys, I see a flag go by or see a soldier go by with a flag. I have a little tear in my eye. I appreciate the men and women who serve this country. We are so incredibly blessed in, in this nation. So anyway, great to see Noah back today. So if you have your Bible, once you turn to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start there. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scripture. We'll have the scripture up on the screen, but it's always good to kind of parallel it with your Bible. And we're going to talk today about my favorite name of God for this week. What I have found out, whatever I'm studying, it always is my favorite at the moment. But I really did get to enjoy this particular name for God. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Let's say it together. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, I got to be honest with you, most of the time in my life, I have not addressed God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But this morning, we're going to look back to see that this name is important to God. And uh, so we're going to look at it back in Exodus chapter 3. This is when God finds Moses on the backside of the desert. I don't know where the backside of the desert is, but it had to be way away from civilization. So he's back there taking care of the flock, and God appears to him in a burning bush. And someone, I still remember when I was a young pastor, someone said to me, Pastor, you know why the bush didn't burn up when Moses was in front of the burning bush? And I said, no, I don't know why. And they said, because God was in it. And they said, Pastor, if you ever burn out in life, it's because you're doing it in your own strength. But if you'll trust God, if God's doing it through you, you will never burn out. Can I tell you, those are some wise words just to let God go through. So God appears to him in a burning bush, and let's read it together. God called to Moses from the midst of a bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name for how long? 
forever. He said, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So apparently this name was pretty important to God. He said, this is going to be my name forever, and it'll be memorial to all generations. Now, up to Abraham's time, if you remember, God dealt with people as individuals. But beginning with Abraham, something new was in the heart of God. He wanted to build a people for his name's sake, and he also wanted to choose a land which he chose as Israel. Now, by the way, just selfishly, I wish God would have chose America. I wish he would have said, hey, I want, to, I want this to be my land. But he chose Israel, and he chose the Jewish people. I just want to remind you that God chose many, many years ago to be identified with the nation of Israel and with the Jewish people. And I just want to, again, go on record. I don't say many political things. Those of you that are around me, I don't say many political things. But I do say this. A candidate that does not support Israel, I have a real problem with. Because I believe God will bless those who bless Israel, curse those who curse Israel. So I believe God has chose to identify with the Jewish people. And so these three names, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, what God began with Abraham, the man, he didn't complete until Jacob's offspring became the 12 tribes of Israel. So he begins a nation with the man Abraham, but it is not really in place until the offspring of Jacob. So why the process? Why is he referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? But not only here in the Old Testament, but if you think about it, our New Testament starts off with these same three guys. As Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, he immediately connects Jesus back to Abraham. By the way, Abraham is really the father of three world religions. He's the father of the Islam religion. The Muslims look to him through Ishmael as being the founding father. Judaism looks back to Abraham as being the founding father. And Christianity also looks back to Abraham. So he really does have some deep roots in the major religions of the world. So Matthew begins his gospel this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he begins with Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. So again, from the very beginning of the New Testament, God is referred to and mentioned by these three men, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you remember in Matthew 8, Jesus said this. He said, many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he could have used any three people, but he reminds us one day when we get to heaven, among everybody that's going to be there, we're going to be sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, these three seem to have a very key role in God developing his people. All right? Matthew chapter 22, when the Sadducees were trying to corner Jesus about marriage in heaven and who's going to be married to who, he responded in Matthew 22, it's also found in Mark and Luke, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So again, throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to God using these three names. So again, they're very, very important to God. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter was preaching after the lame man was healed, notice how he addressed his Jewish audience. He said, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So even in Peter's sermon, he begins with connecting God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was kind of given his historical overview to the Jewish religious leaders, again, he said, Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And so again, God wanted to form a people. He began with Abraham, but was not complete until the offspring of Jacob. So let's go back to Abraham. What is Abraham's life teaches. First thing I just want you to note about Abraham, God called him out of a life of idolatry. All right, the Bible says that he lived on the other side of the river and they served other gods. He was not somebody who naturally, we may think, wants to follow God. I just want to say one of the things that uh, Abraham teaches us is that God always begins with grace. And God always picks those people who maybe the world would never pick. I'm so thankful that God chooses some of the unlikely people because that gives all of us an opportunity. So first of all, God called Abraham to leave a life of idolatry, according to Joshua 24, 2, and he obeyed, and I love what it says, he went out not knowing where he was going. So the Christian life always begins by grace. Salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift of grace. So it always begins God finding us where we are, receiving that gift, and then Abraham's life, to me, could kind of be summarized by saying it was a journey of faith. Throughout his life, he was answering the question, can God's word be trusted? And so first of all, God tells him, I just want you to go out. And by the way, Ur, where he lived, they say was a pretty modern city in his day. So he had to come home to Sarah and say, hey, we're going to leave the modern conveniences of Ur and we're going to head out and we're going to go live in tents. How many of you think Sarah was excited? How many of you, if your husband came home and said, hey, man, I just feel like God wants us to move away from the house and we're going to go live the rest of our life in tents. Anybody here ever camp? Any campers? I mean, we used to go camping in tents. It's a lot of work putting up a tent. It was a lot of fun. But I got, I'm just being honest with you. As I get older, my camping is more like an RV with air conditioning. <laughs> and a shower. And a refrigerator. I even don't mind staying in a motel and just driving to the park and putting a lawn chair up. <laughs> but can you imagine, man, he called Abraham to a life of faith. One of the basic lessons of Abraham's life is, can God's word be trusted? I mean, throughout his life, he had to answer that question, could God's word be trusted? And as we begin, by the way, the process of of building a nation is really the same process in us becoming who God wants us to be. And so again, always begins with grace, and then it's a life of faith. Do we trust that what God has said, 
he is able to deliver. Now here's what I found from studying Abraham's life and in my life. God usually shows up, but it's 1159. I wish when God promised me at noon, it would be 1201. A minute later, he'd come with the answer. But the truth is, every one of us here are going through something where God wants us to trust his word. He wants us to trust that his promise is more reliable than the six o'clock news. His promise is more reliable than what the world tells us. His promises are more real than what carnal Christians tell us. I just want you to know that part of this journey is believing that what God has promised, he is able to deliver. So throughout his life, can I just give Sarah some props? I mean, Abraham's always the one that gets the credit, but for her to be willing to follow him and to say, hey, I'm willing to to leave our, our modern home and go live in tents, I just cannot say enough about Sarah. I mean, she had to be, I mean, I don't know how this would work at your house, guys. But most of us would have a hard time selling our wife that, hey, we're going to go live in tents the rest of our life. She'd say, well, send me a card whenever you get there. (laughs) Keep in touch. Now, I know you women are more godly. You just go along with it. But Sarah had to be an incredible person. So as we mentioned It says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. And again, he mentions with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So really, they were going to live their life out of tents because, again, they were trusting God. God gave them a promise and they were willing to adjust their lifestyle to depend on that promise. And then in Genesis 12, we find God's call on Abram's life. He's, he's 75 years old. How many of you 75 years old say, man, I just can't wait for the call of God? I mean, a lot of people tell me, man, I'm 75, I'm 80, I'm ready to, I'm ready to retire and let the younger bucks do it. I just want to tell you, man, you never retire. As long as Abraham lived, he never had a day where he could get up and just trust himself. Every day he had to believe that what God had promised, God would deliver. What a demonstration of the life of faith. And I just want to say, if we were to be honest and go around here today, there's not a person sitting here that's not going through something where you're not dependent on either believing God or trusting your circumstances. And I'm going to tell you, it's easy to get sucked into what everybody's telling you. But when you begin to believe God, you'll have a peace in your life. And so, 75 years old, God tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. They have no children. How many of you at 75 would love to find out, man, you're going to be the father of many nations? I mean, at that age, I'm willing to kind of pass that on to the younger couples, amen? But God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. What was he teaching Abraham? That what I say, it seems impossible and is impossible in the natural realm, but God who promised is able. I just want to tell you, we serve an amazing God who not only makes promises, by the way, every promise God gives you, I mean, it's really a promise that he's going to see you through whatever you're going through in life. And then in Genesis 15, 11 years has gone by. He's 86 years old now, still no children. Still waiting. You know, I mean, they, they had bought the, the baby bed 11 years ago. So the baby room has all been ready 11 years earlier. They're still waiting for the promise, all right? Waiting for the promise. He's 86 years old, and he's having a hard time wrapping his mind around that. So in the, in the human realm, he was struggling. So God said, go outside, look up at the stars, 
And I, I want you to see how numerous the stars are, so will your descendants be. Have you ever thought that when he looked up in the sky that night, that your name was on one of those stars? Because we all are heirs of the promise. Ultimately, when he looked up and he saw the stars, the Bible said he was able to believe God. Something about visualizing it helps us to believe. And the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was able to believe God when nothing around him seemed to make sense. Everything in the natural realm seemed to be against him. But he said, God who promised is able. Boy, that's a great place to be in our life. By the way, the next chapter, chapter 16, him and Sarah decided to work out a way to help God out. How many of you have ever tried to help God out just in case he didn't show up? You guys are more spiritual. Pastors are the worst. All right. In case God doesn't show up, we got to have a plan how to keep this thing going. And so they, they came up with a plan and Sarah said, well, it doesn't look like we're going to have children. So why don't you take one of my handmaids, have a child through her. And they had Ishmael. They were trying to help God out. And by the way, every time we try to help God out, it never really works out right. But they, they tried. They were helping. They were trying. And so they had Ishmael. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit. God blessed Ishmael, even though he wasn't the promised one, because he was born of the flesh. And by the way, the Bible uses Isaac and Ishmael's as, as two types of performance, that after the flesh, Ishmael, or that after the spirit, Isaac. And so... It says here in Genesis 17, the next chapter, he's now 99 years old. He's waited 24 years. 24 years. Now, this wasn't the day. They weren't having kids like they were in Noah's time at the age of 500. The Bible says in Hebrews that both he and Sarah, their bodies were as good as dead regarding having children. They, they were way beyond the age of having children. So they're now, and I love this picture some artists rendered of... Uh, Abraham and Sarah. They had to look like great, great, great grandparents. But no, it was their kid. I would love to be in the nursery when they showed up to drop their child off. I, my mind thinks too much when I'm, I'm preparing. So at 99, still don't have any children, God says to Abraham, we're going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. We're just going to start calling you father of many nations. They still have no children. The nursery's been ready for 24 years. It's got a lot of dust. They've had to repaint it twice. Or whatever room of the tent they were going to give to the child. And so he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. Can you imagine him going down to the senior center? Hey, don't, don't call me Abram anymore. Call me Abraham. I am the father of many nations. And everybody at the senior center is going, dementia, dementia, <laughs> dementia. But God promised. He who promised is faithful. Abraham's life is a demonstration of God's faithfulness. Can I tell you, everyone here needs to be reminded, what God promised you, he will deliver. What God promised you, he will deliver. By the way, remember they had Ishmael, and God said to Ishmael, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That's why the Muslims, they look to Abraham as their founding father through Ishmael. All right? And did God bless Ishmael? This is kind of just a little picture of the Arab people in the Middle East. 
they have all the yellow countries, and God's people have that little sliver, that blue, that blue sliver. God blessed Ishmael. Even though he wasn't the son of promise, because he was Abraham's offspring, he still blessed him. We serve a God that is amazingly graceful. So this just gives you an idea. So even today, Muslims and Jews still don't get along. I mean, there was always that tension going on between Ishmael's offspring and Isaac's offspring, even to this day. Well, chapter 22, God tells him after they finally had Isaac, now they're raising Isaac, I don't know how old he was, but they say, now God says to him, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, take up to Mount Moriah, which would eventually be where Jerusalem would be on Mount Moriah. Perhaps he took his son on the very spot or near the very spot where later Jesus would be crucified, God's only son. And he said, I want you to offer him up. Now, again, didn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense. But he who promised, Abraham was learning his whole life how to trust God. I don't think if God would have gave him that 25 years earlier, he may not have been able to do it. But he had witnessed the faithfulness of God and the Bible. I love how it says in Hebrews here. Hebrews says he so believed God that through Isaac, the Messiah would come, that he believed that if God allowed him to kill his son, that God would have to raise him from the dead because he promised through Isaac, the Messiah would come. Now that's faith. I mean, are you believing God right now in your life for what you're going through, what you're struggling? Can you really believe that God loves you and the promise that he made you is not dependent on your circumstances? That's the teaching of the life of Abraham. And then there's Isaac. If you study Isaac, he's a pretty boring person. All right? Both Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by the way, are just really normal people. There's no miracles and by the way, the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis cover hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the first 11 chapters. And then the last 39 chapters, almost 80% of the book of Genesis is about four men primarily, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, those four guys. So most of the book of Genesis, 80% of it is about Four guys where the first 11 chapters covers hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But God wants us to slow down and to look at these guys. Because again, there's lifelong lessons. So Isaac, on the other hand, Abraham lived a life of a journey, a life of faith. Isaac, on the other hand, had to learn to receive. All right, And the Bible says here that Abraham accumulated great wealth. Isaac inherited his father's wealth. I love how it says in Genesis 25, when Abraham was getting ready to die, he says Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. I mean, Isaac had to learn to receive from his father. Can I tell you, learning to receive is hard as adults. Because, you know, you try to give an adult something, try to give an adult a $10 bill. No, I just, I couldn't, I just, I don't, I don't deserve it. You have a hard time giving an adult something. But you hand out $10 bills to a child, whoop, you got any more? <laughs> That's why the Bible says we got to receive the kingdom as a little child. You know, Isaac, part of the Christian journey is just receiving from God. That God wants to give to his children. It's not based on your performance. 
If you base it on your performance, you're never going to receive from God. But I love how Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father want to give to you? And I love that passage that says, if God did not spare his son, his only son, but he delivered him up for us all, how much more will God give us all that he has? I just want to tell you, it's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. But you have to learn to receive. Abraham, we have to learn the life of faith. We have to learn to trust God. But Isaac gives us the lesson that we got to learn to receive. And so... In Romans 5, 17, a couple of my verses here that talk about receiving, read it with me. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I don't know of anybody that doesn't want to reign in life. And he says, if you want to reign in life, you got to learn to receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And so like Isaac, we need to learn to receive. And it's not based, again, on your performance, because none of us deserve it. But as his child, he wants us to receive. And then one of the verses we quote a lot with salvation, read it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You know, salvation is a gift. It's nothing you work for, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, you receive it. And every day you get up, I just want to tell you, God wants to bless you. God wants to give you an abundance of grace. But you, with childlike faith, have to receive it from God. And just learn to receive as Isaac does. You know, Isaac, by the way, Abraham had quite an amazing life. Again, a life of journeying. It says Abraham journeyed, but Isaac, he was born, he lived, and he died in Canaan. He really didn't have to do a whole lot. I mean, he just had to experience and receive what his father. By the way, even his grave was given to him. I mean, he didn't really work for anything. Everything was given. And I love how it says, even a bride. The Bible says when he was 40 years old, his father picked out his wife. How many of you guys think that's a really good idea? How many of you girls would be a little nervous? All right. Now, right, by the way, right now, as a father, I think, yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, I, I think fathers would have a lot of wisdom. I don't think anybody would be good enough for our kids, but hey, we'd try. But I love it. Isaac didn't even get to pick out his wife. Even that was picked out for him. He just received. I mean, everything in Isaac's life was just a life of receiving. You remember, Abraham said to his oldest servant, go to my country and take a wife for my son Isaac. And through that process, he chose Rebecca. And Rebecca became his wife. And he was 40 years old at the time. It was time he got married, moved out. All right, he's 40 years old. But even his wife was a gift. Isn't that amazing? Everything in his life was given. Lastly, we want to talk about Jacob. So Abraham reminds us that we're saved by grace. God found him in a life of idolatry, found him in a life away from God. Abraham's life demonstrates that we have to live by faith. We have to trust and believe that God's word can be trusted. Isaac reminds us that we need to learn to receive from God. And then Jacob. Jacob was the ultimate wheeler dealer. He was the ultimate deceiver, all right? And there's something inside of us, even though we're Christians, 
We still have this flesh thing going on, and the flesh wants to wheel and deal for the things of God and wants to wheel and deal with other people. And so Jacob's life teaches us that we need to die to self to really produce the life God wants us to live. And so let's look at Jacob. If you remember when Rebekah was pregnant with twins, God said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb. And the older will serve the younger. Now, in Jewish culture, it was always the older child that got the blessing. But God said, even before they were born, the older would serve the younger. So Rebecca knew that in her heart, that the younger would be the one that God would use in a special way. All right? And so at their birth, it's kind of funny, and so there's not always funny things about birth, but there is here, in my opinion, the first one came out red. He was hairy like a garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, the grabber of the heel. I mean, he was even trying to get out of the womb first. I want first. I want to come out first. How many of you have ever struggled with a sibling? You guys are godly people. But Jacob, his whole life, man, he was wheeling and dealing to get everything in life. I mean, he was the ultimate performer. Now, I love how it says that Isaac, the dad, loved Esau because he ate of his game, because the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, all right? But Rebekah loved Jacob. So Jacob was a mama's boy, all right? Now, you can't go wrong with a mama's boy or daddy's boy, but if you had to pick one, I'd always go with mama's boy. Because I know in the house this, I always root for the husband, but I bet on the wife. But Rebecca knew. Why did Rebecca favor Jacob? I think she loved both. I think both of them loved both. But Rebecca was told the older will serve the younger. So she knew there was a special place for Jacob in the kingdom of God. And by the way, Rebecca's the one that helped him steal the birthright from his brother. It was, her, it was his mom. And so Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. You know, when you get hungry enough, you'll do some stupid things. And so Esau was hungry, and Jacob, who's a wheeler dealer, says, man, I'm going to get him to sell his birthright, which should go to the oldest son, to me, and I'm going to offer him a bowl of stew. Now you may say, that's crazy, you just haven't been hungry enough. If you get hungry enough, I mean, it all sounds good, you're willing to make some dumb decisions when you're hungry, all right? And so he sells his birthright. By the way, after he did that, he was really mad at Jacob. He was so mad, he vowed to kill Jacob once his dad died. He was upset, all right? And so Rebekah knew that Esau was mad, so Rebekah sends Jacob to her brother Laban. He says, I want you to go away for a while until Esau calms down, which he, he never did. He held on to that all those years. So he went to live for Laban, and when he got to Laban, he fell in love with one of his daughters, Rachel. Rachel was a good looker. She's pretty. He was instantly in love with Rachel. And so he's working out a deal with Laban for, for Rachel. He said, I'll work seven years for Rachel. You are in love if you work seven years for a woman. But they're worth it. They're worth it. So he worked seven years for Rachel because he loved her. She's pretty. And so they had the wedding. She was veiled. The next morning after the wedding night, he got up and found out he had married Leah instead of Rachel. Laban had tricked him. 
You know, he who tricks others gets tricked himself. How many of you know that? So he got tricked into Mary and Leah because she was the oldest daughter. She should get married first. And then he had to work another seven more years for Rachel. He was really in love with Rachel. By the way, even though he loved Rachel because of her natural beauty, the Bible says because God saw that, he opened the womb of Leah. And she had children first. And by the way, can I just throw this out? When Jacob died, guess who he wanted to be buried next to? Leah. Isn't that cool? Can I tell you, love can grow. Even though you have some struggles in marriage, and even though you may say, I've heard somebody say, I've never thought about divorce, murder a couple times, but not divorce. I just want to tell you, you can grow to love those people. So when he died, he said, I want to be married next to Leah. That's pretty cool that he grew in that love. But anyway, he was always wheeling and dealing. Chapter 32, the most important chapter in the book of Genesis, in my opinion, right now, because I just studied it. But chapter 32, Jacob is wheeling and dealing. He's finally going to come back home. It's been 20 years since he has seen Esau, 20 years. But he still is afraid for his life because Esau vowed to kill him. And so on his way back, if you read Genesis 32, He's trying to wheel and deal and think about how he can make something happen and save his life. And so he sends some different gifts to his brother Esau. And with each gift, he addresses him as master, your servant Jacob. I mean, he is putting it on thick. I mean, he's trying to do everything he can to make sure Esau is not mad at him. And he is nervous. He is scared for his life. And then Esau sends word back with some of Jacob's folks, I'm coming to meet you with 400 men. It's been 20 years. I mean, he is, he is, how many of you have ever been there just kind of freaked out? And so, man, he doesn't say, what to do? I love how it says about two-thirds into the chapter, it says, then he prayed. He had done everything he knew to make it right, and finally he prayed. Hey, prayer's not the last resort, it should be the first resort. So he, he decides to pray, and this is that passage where this, he says he wrestled a man all night, and we know later on, I believe that man was Jesus himself, pre-incarnate, and, and, and he came down because at the end, after he had wrestled with him all night, he says, I have seen the face of God, and yet God spared me. So I think he was literally wrestling with God because he was trying to work everything out he was trying to figure it out he was wrestling with God I'm not a wrestler you can tell by my physique I'm not a wrestler but what little wrestling I've done is exhausting can you imagine wrestling all night with God and a matter of fact God was wanting to leave in the morning he says I will not let you go unless you bless me So God touched his hip, and from that day forward, he walked with a limp. And God said, from this day forward, you're no longer going to be called Jacob, but Israel. God broke all of his scheming and all of the the desire to get it done in the flesh. One of the hardest lessons in the Christian life is to come to the end of ourself and know that we in our flesh can never accomplish what God wants to accomplish. You know, the Bible says that the spirit and the flesh war against each other. 
Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing dwells. But every Christian has to somehow come to the end of their self and realize, I cannot produce the things of God by working harder and trying more. That's why Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily decision to not depend on your flesh and depend on God. And so it says here, as we mentioned at the end of that night, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And so, again, the lesson of Jacob is the lesson of crucifying the flesh. And I just want to say to you, that we all strive to make something happen. Pastors are probably the worst. I mean, I can't tell you, if I, I just kind of believe if I can just do more, if I can just work harder, if I can put in some extra hours, man, we can grow as a church. And I believe there is some work involved, but several years ago, I may have shared this story at some point, but several years ago, I was the only full-time staff at the church. And I think we were running about 250, 300 at the time. But I was literally up at church seven days a week. And I wanted to say about Brenda, and she probably should have clobbered me a little bit, but Brenda has never in all of our marriage ever complained about doing the work of God. And maybe, maybe she wanted to get rid of me sometime to get me out of the house, I don't know. But she's never complained. But I remember back then, I was up here literally, and nobody was asking me to, but I just thought if I could just do more, if I could just juggle more balls, if I could just put in more time, I got to keep everything going at church, and so I just got to keep juggling, I just got to work harder. I came home one night, and after we had supper together, I said, I'm going to run up to church for a minute, I'll be right back. The greatest sermon I've ever heard came from my son Ryan, little bitty guy. Say, I'm going to run to church, I'll be right back. And Ryan looked up at me and said, Dad, we'll see you tomorrow. I said, no, I, I'm just going to I'll be right. He said, Dad, we'll see you tomorrow. And God forever changed my life that day. I was trying in the flesh to try to make something happen and keep all the balls up in the air, and I knew that really I had wronged the church. I got up that next Sunday, I apologized to the church. I apologized to my family. I want to tell you, it's not working seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's somehow coming to the end of ourself. And God is my witness. As I backed off and just paced myself and just trusted God, things took off. I'm here to tell you that if you can learn to rest, if you can learn to come to the end of yourself and not strive to make something happen, it's really one of the greatest discoveries of your life. And so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, Abraham reminds us that we're all called by grace, that we're to live a life of trusting his word. Isaac reminds us that as a son, we need to learn to receive from God. And Jacob reminds us the ultimate test of the Christian life, and that is somehow we got to crucify the flesh and we got to die to trying to work stuff out in our own strength. Let's pray together. Let's stand together. Noah, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you come down. I'm just going to have you sit down here, and I'm going to have some guys come and pray for Noah. If you're here today, maybe for the first time of your life, Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. 
And today, you just feel that tug in your heart. Right where you are, you can acknowledge that Jesus died for you and with childlike faith, just receive that gift of salvation. But I believe there's a lot of believers. So no, if you don't mind sitting right here on the front, if I could get some guys to come and just get around Noah, we just want to pray for him. Or maybe you're here today and this is where God is leading you to officially plug in. We invite you to come. So you just kind of get around Noah there. And let's just love on him and pray for him. And by the way, I also appreciate the family. I know it's not just the soldier, but it's the, the, the entire family that sacrifices. I just want you to take a minute. And I don't know how many of you are kind of burnt out a little bit in life. But again, I just want to say if we're burnt out, it's probably because we're burning it on our own energy. Would you take a minute and just with childlike faith, just receive God's grace? And would you let God know that you don't want to live one day just doing the best you can? But you want that river of living water to flow through you and just yield to what God wants to do in your life.